Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmati.com. Well, welcome back to Pushing the Limits. Your host, Lisa Tarmati, here with you. And today I have another very, very special guest for you that is perhaps going to change your life. A really, very interesting man. Uh, Dr. Dawson Church, PhD, who is an award-winning science writer with three best-selling books to his credit. The Genie in Your Genes was the first book to demonstrate that emotions drive gene expression. So that's all around epigenetics. Epigenetics and how your emotions can actually change the way your genes are expressing. The second book, Mind to Matter, which is a really something that you must read, showed that the brain creates much of what we think of as objective reality. And his third book, Bliss Brain, demonstrates that peak mental states rapidly remodel the brain for happiness. Now, Dawson has conducted dozens of clinical trials and founded the National Institute for Integrative Healthcare to promote groundbreaking new treatments. It's the largest program, has, oh, its largest program, the Veteran Stress Project, has offered over free treatment to over 20,000 veterans who are suffering from PTSD. All for love, no money involved. An absolute amazing project. Dawson now shares how to apply these health and performance breakthroughs through his EFT universe. And it was just an absolutely fascinating conversation with him. I'm very, very interested always in neuroplasticity because I was told with my mum's story, as you all know, that there was no hope that her brain would not be able to remodel and not be able to learn again. And that is so far from the truth. And in his new book, Bliss Brain, award-winning science writer Dawson Church focuses on the positive and negative mood and negative thinking and how it's associated with activation of brain regions like the prefrontal cortex, the seat of yourself, and positive emotions such as altruism and compassion. Um, he blends cutting-edge neuroscience with the stories of people who've had first-hand experience of brain change. And Bliss Brain really examines the effects of emotional states on brain structure. Uh, suffice to say, you have to listen to this episode. I think if you're struggling with anxiety, struggling with stress, uh, feeling the effects of ongoing long-term stress on your body uh, with illnesses and sicknesses and depression and all of these things that hamper just so many of us, so many of the people that I work with, and certainly I struggle with it on, on occasion as well, then this is a book for you. Dr. Dawson really emanates happiness and joy. That wasn't always the case. He was someone who had suffered from uh, depression quite badly in his early years, and this is what sent him down this great path. And he manages to marry the science with the traditional things like Chinese medicine and meridians and energy medicine. And he's been able to quantify it so that people like me who love science and who, uh, you know, open-minded skeptics, I like to call myself, can actually understand why these things work. And that's really, really important. Before we head over to Dr. Dawson, I'd just like to remind you, we have now our patron membership for the podcast. If you'd like to get involved with the podcast, if you'd like to support what we do here at Pushing the Limits, um, and we've been doing it now for five and a half years and near on 200 episodes. And I can tell you into each episode goes a heck of a lot of work, a lot of research, a lot of book reading, a lot of time. And we really need to keep 
you know, to keep this on air, we really need your help. So if you'd like to come and support us and get a whole lot of extra uh, member benefits, then head on over to patron.lisatamati.com. That's patron, P-A-T-R-O-N, dot lisatamati.com. And you can join us in our tribe there. We'd really, really appreciate you doing that. Uh, and as always, please give us a rating and review for the show because that really does help us as well. And share it with your family and friends if you get benefit from us. I'd also love to hear from you. If you've got a question about one of the guests, if you want to dive deeper into one of the topics, uh, please reach out to me, support at lisatamati.com. And I'd like to remind you too that we also have our epigenetics program, which is our flagship program that we have that looks at your genes and how to optimize your genes and how to understand the nuance of what foods, what times of the day, what types of exercise, what are your dominant hormones, what are your dominant neurotransmitters and how that plays out in your life. So if you'd like to join us for that, please head over to lisatamati.com and go under the work with us button and you'll see all the information there. Now over to Dr. Dawson Church. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Pushing the Limits. I'm super excited to have you here with me today. I have an absolute legend, a, a man who has done so much research and so much good in the world, uh, Dr. Dawson Church with me. Welcome to the show, uh, Dawson. It's really, really exciting to have you with us today. Thanks for taking the time. For me too, Lisa. And if we have half as much fun now in the next hour as we just had off the air, it's going to be a fabulous time for you and me and everyone else combined. Exactly. We, we already had a couple of really good connections. It's yeah. fantastic. Uh, so um, Dawson, you are a, 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 well, you're an incredible man with a number of books. You have, you're a researcher, you're an expert on the brain and the the mind and body connection. Um, can you give us a little bit of background about how did you get into this space and and what you've been studying? I mean, that's a big question, but we'll start there anyway. Well, to start right in the middle, I worked on a book about five years ago called Mind to Matter. And it began as a really off-the-cuff project. I was interviewing scientists and I was trying to trace all of the scientific pieces, the, the links in the chain between having a thought and a thing. And I thought, well, I'll find some some links to the chain, not others, but I found all of them. And it was so interesting to see how our thoughts literally become things, how our brains function like transducers from the universal field of information. And we, we then manifest those things all around us. And while I was doing that, I got into some, I've been meditating for every day for like 20 years plus, but I got into some really esoteric forms of meditation practiced mm -hmm. by masters who've done it for like 10,000 hours. And I began to find myself getting really, 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 really happy. And I was already a really happy person, but I began to find myself getting super happy no matter what the circumstances. And I began to look into why people who do certain styles of meditation get so happy. And I, that's what I, I wrote the book, This Brain. And I began the process 50 years before that as a teenager when I was, I was so toxically depressed and yep. anxious and miserable yep. and I was suicidal most I mean I, I wanted to just kill myself when I was 12 13 14 years old oh. and I looked into my own eyes I walked past a full-length mirror one day when I was 15 looked into my own eyes and I said to myself those are the saddest eyes I've ever seen wow. and I realized I was so messed up inside so I went and lived on a spiritual community for many years. I learned meditation, learned energy healing, uh, studied psychology, wanted to figure out how I could make myself happier and got ha a little bit happier over the years. And then when I began to meditate every single day, 
I then began to use energy therapies like EFT tapping. And suddenly I got a lot happier. And then after my matter, doing these esoteric uh, meditations, got super happy and wanted to then just um, tell it to the world. So I had this epiphany. <laughs> I go on a retreat every New Year's Eve and spend like about two, three weeks just really getting quiet, meditating, asking the universe, what are my marching orders for the coming year? Wow. And I was walking the labyrinth with a group of about 40 people at a meditation center in New Year's a couple of years ago. And this, I, I stood at the center of the labyrinth at the stroke of midnight. And I just said, you know, universe, what is your purpose for me in the coming year? And the universe, I heard these words and they said, we've given you the gift of happiness. Now go give it to everyone else too. Wow. So that's really what I see myself doing now and where I, where I came from originally and where I am today. Oh, wow, that is beautifully put. And um, so Bliss Brain, because you've, you've written a number of books, but Mind to Matter was the last one, and then Bliss Brain is this one. And <clears throat> when people are listening to this, a lot of people would think, well, yes, but is this like, you know, the, especially a lot of the um, people that are scientifically, uh, you know, believe in the science and they want evidence, what I found so interesting with your work is that you've ma managed to marry the science, the qu quantified uh, effects of, of, of energy medicine, of, of um, meditation, of, of pressure points, of EFT, all of these things, these energy uh, things, and actually quantified those with science and, and very rigorous-based uh, evidence-based, um, which which for me is always a fascinating thing because I, I'm I'm very much um, uh, an open-minded person, but I like to have that rigor, that 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 that, that skeptical mind, that you know that, that that prefrontal cortex that often jumps in and goes, but is this real? You know, <laughs> and you sort of sit on the cusp between uh, you know uh, being open-minded and being scientific, and you've seemed to marry these two just beautifully in your work and being able to quantify what some of the you know uh, ancient traditions the chinese medicine the the you know meridians uh, the these types of things that have been known for thousands of years but are now actually being shown to be correct in, in yeah. with science can you, can I mean, you what, what's amazing to me is like you know if if you if you take like, I have a little instrument called I have a little uh, instrument handheld instrument called a galvanometer mm -hmm. It's battery powered and it picks up the electrical resistance on your skin. And so at my live workshops, I will run this over people's skin and the little, this little device makes beeping sound whenever it hits an acupuncture point. And it's because it's those points are very, very high conductance, low resistance. And so you'll run this little deal over the person's face. Nothing's happening. It'll hit an acupuncture point like this over here is on the on the on the uh, bladder meridian. Mm -hmm. This point over here, and suddenly the machine goes crazy. It starts beeping and flashing. Wow! But only in this tiny point, about a millimeter in diameter, and nowhere on the surrounding skin. And that's the exact point shown in a twenty-four hundred year old Chinese scroll. So again, these ancients knew about all these points, energy flows, the chakras, the meridians, and so on. Now we have instrumentation that can measure them. At least the cool thing about the measurement process is, as we're measuring the effects of energy therapies, energy treatments, we're finding that the as we quantify them, the effects aren't tiny. They aren't, you know, 3%, 5%. Sometimes they're astronomical, like for example, the EFT. So in uh, meta-analyses, now meta-analyses gather together five, 10, 20, 50, 100 studies into a bundle, and they then extract all the information 
on a scale of how effective a therapy is. And mm-hmm. so uh, an effective therapy gets a score of two. Uh, a really effective therapy gets a score of five. And an extremely effective therapy is a score of eight. So two, five, eight, those are the two, the three points in a meta-analysis that tells you whether a therapy has some effect or wow. a huge effect. Okay. In studies, in meta-analyses of EFT tapping for anxiety, on that two, five, eight scale, the effect of EFT is 12. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's beyond. <laughs> off the scale, off the charts, same thing for depression, same thing for PTSD. So now that we're quantifying EFT. these therapies, meditation, EFT, other kinds of therapies, we're finding some of them have incredible results at the level of the genome, proteins, proteins, expression, enzymes, all kinds of processes in our bodies. Wow, that is okay, because you've written a book also called uh, uh, the, the, the Genie in Your Genie Genes, in your genes. which yeah. I thought was a, mar- a marvelous title because I, I studied uh, epigenetics and genetics, and uh, I, I know that you collaborated on the book with Dr. Bruce Lipton, and I was yes. that's one of my favorite books of all time and actually got me down this rabbit hole of epigenetics. Um, and so, you know, I've looked at epigenetics in relation to the food and the nutrition and the social environment and your, your neurotransmitters and, and these sorts of things. But when I heard um, you talking about how it affects, you know, like meditation, you're able to see, I think it was 72 genes or something where it actually changes the expression of those genes in real time when you're doing these meditations. And these were areas, I mean, you, you know the areas better than me. Perhaps you can talk about what, because um, I think a lot of people don't understand that we have a DNA that we've inherited from mum and dad. That's our code, if you like. But all throughout life and throughout every day and with everything that we do, we're turning genes on and off for, for the want of a better description, upregulating or downregulating certain genes with our environment. So what sort of things can we influence through our meditation and through, through EFT and, and, and so on? That is the key question you're asking, Lisa. And we can influence our gene expression with things like diet. So you eat certain foods, you eat really healthy foods, it's going to turn on certain genes and result in certain processes in your body. And so the early epigenetic studies, 1999, 2002, were all about introducing dietary factors, usually in, in experimental subjects of rats and mice, yeah. and then seeing how that affected their gene expression. But what I am much more interested in than things like drugs and um, external factors like food is I am super interested in what we can do with this yeah, thing brain. behind yeah. our farts over here yeah. and our beliefs and our attitudes and our energy. And it turns out, I mean, that study you just mentioned by done by a remarkable um, insight filled therapist called Beth Maharaj. And she found that in, in, in an EFT session, a one hour EFT session of psychotherapy using EFT acupressure tapping on those acupuncture points, 72 genes were changed. And again, about 15% of our genome is fixed. Like I am two meters tall. Yep. I have gray eyes and brown hair, not very much of it anymore. And, you know, I just have certain physical characteristics that are what they are. Yep. Those yep. are fixed genes, but those are only about 15% of the genome. Wow. The other 85% is changed when I have a negative thought I start producing cortisol. I send a signal down to the medulla on, on my adrenal glands. My adrenal glands start producing cortisol and adrenaline. Adrenaline's your fast-acting mm. stress hormone. Cortisol's your slower-acting, but slow-acting as in two minutes, and two minutes is turning everything on and off, all kinds of other processes off in your body. And so I'm doing that with my mind alone. 
And so if I'm having high cortisol day after day mm. because I'm worried or because I'm stressed or because I'm anxious, now what I'm doing is I'm driving my body into this fight or flight state over and over and over again, chronic stress, and it's depleting everything else in my body. It's depleting my immune system. It results in muscular wasting. It literally over time produces calcification of the brain's learning memory centers. And you want a lot of calcium in your teeth, you want a lot of calcium in your bones. In your brain. You do not want <laughs> calcium in your brain. And but it does, it literally deposits calcium in your brain's memory centers. So that is the, the effect epigenetically of our thoughts and our beliefs. So it's so important that we take control of this, like Bruce is saying in the biology of belief and have positive belief, positive thoughts, release the ones that get in our way because it's having a dramatic effect on our physical bodies. And, and this is like, you know, the calcium, I've seen those scans where you have the, you know, the shrunken brain that's been exposed to a lot of stress and uh, the hippocampus shrinks and the prefrontal cortex and the, and then you have the healthy brain that's nice and plump on the other side, if you like. And it, it is a very good visual because this is very much like we think, we tend to think, well, yes, I'm stressed and, you know, but uh, that's, you know, neither here nor there, toughen up and get on with it type of attitude. And I think that this, you know, I think we need to distinguish between short-term uh, hermetic stresses, which are good for us, you know, like the things like going in the sauna or going into cold water or or going for a run and exercise and, and, and things like that that are slightly outside the comfort zone, but not – uh, these long-term or even medium-term stresses that are going on day for day and, and, and week upon week and month upon month, those are the ones that really, when you are affecting the genes on a daily basis and your cortisol and your adrenaline uh, are just pumping all the time. And this is something like with my genetic makeup, I have um, a deficiency in receptors of dopamine. So I'm constantly after dopamine. So I'm always like, <laughs> chasing this horse that I can never reach, right? Uh, and um, I have a lot of adrenaline and, and uh, I was exposed to a lot of testosterone in the womb. So I have that, that personality, that take action, risk-taking, jump in, don't plan, no strategy, you know, that type of a personality. And these things really affect us. However, I can take control of that through a practice, I can do things, you know, uh, that can actually help me control my innate biology, if you like. Um, yes. So yes. how can people – so I wanted to ask, because I think a lot of people won't know what EFT is per se. Would you, would you explain what that particular type of energy work is? EFT is very popular. It's used by over 20 million people worldwide. It's grown with that. Totally purely by word of mouth. There is no drug company. There is no advertising yes. campaign. People have studied each other RDFT. <laughs> and it is often called tapping because you simply tap like this on acupuncture points. And there are about 13 that we use commonly. They're linked to the 13 meridians of the body. And it's amazing. I'm uh, working on a video now where I have to describe EFT in two minutes. And it's like the body's reset switch. Uh, in fact, a therapist used that, used that in, a, in a paper, in a peer-reviewed journal recently. It's like pushing the reset button for your emotions. Wow. So you're upset, you're angry, you're, you're stressed, whatever way. Then you simply tap on these points very, very quickly, and it resets you. So um, there are there are several of these points. You, While you are thinking about the bad stuff in your life, you combine that reflection of, of ruminating on the stuff that bothers you with the tapping. And if you ruminate on the bad stuff, what happens normally 
if you're just thinking about the bad stuff, is you're sending a signal through those neural bundles yep. and they're getting bigger and, and bigger and bigger and faster. And so that's what we call re-traumatization. That's when you re-traumatize yourself. And we find over time, you're right, that shrinks the brain. The mm. brains of people who were traumatized as children are on average 8% smaller than those who weren't traumatized as children. And traumatic stress is, it isn't psychological, it's physiological. Yep. So that's what you're doing if you're re-traumatizing yourself. If you remember that bad thing at the same time you tap, then what we see in MRI and EEG studies is the, the emotional midbrain gets all upset, gets all, all aroused as a result of thinking about the bad things. When you start tapping, all the arousal just goes down. And for example, one, one, one veteran I was working with, because we worked with over 20,000 veterans, yeah. giving them free treatment Amazing. free of charge. Yep. And uh, one, like one veteran was really bothered by a memory. When, when he was in Iraq, he was a medic. And right near the beginning of his tour of duty, one of his friends was shot. And so he, the, the, he had to deal with you know, all the, the gruesomeness of, of that, that, that friend's death. And one of the things he had to do was he had to clean the uniform of his dead friend to send back to his mom and dad back yeah. in the US. And so cleaning the human remains and tissue out of the uniform was tremendously triggering for him. He would remember this, this, this event. He was cleaning them out in, in the medic's hut and then he'd have to run outside to take a breath of fresh air because yeah. the smell was so bad that he'd run back in do a little more cleaning, run back out again. We tapped on this terrible traumatic memory. And he just then had this complete sense of relaxation. And he said, I'm so glad I was the person who got to clean that uniform because it was my way of honoring my friend. Absolutely. And the whole, as his emotional midbrain calmed down, his story changed to where it was no longer one of tragedy, but one of honoring and one of love and one of connection with his friend that he could, wow. he could do this act of service. So EFT shifts brain's function in that way, and it shifts it in just a few seconds like that. There's no therapy. There's no elaborate attempt to understand how, how you are the way you are. You just tap while you're remembering the bad stuff, while all of those neural, neural pathways are fully engaged, and then calms the brain down immediately. And then I met this young man again. I saw him again about three months later, Talked about the uniform, talked about his dead friend. He was still totally calm rounded. And we find in long-term studies that once you break the association in the brain between that traumatic memory and going into fight or flight, the association stays broken and people are fine later on down the road. That is absolutely amazing because I think, you know, the longer we all, all live, we all end up with traumatic, hopefully not as horrific experiences as that. Um, are you aware, of, I had uh, last week on the show, Dr. Don Wood, who I'd love to introduce you actually to. He is uh, also a trauma expert who works with vets and, and PTSD and um, oh, everything, addiction and so on. And he has a four-hour program that he, he takes people into the uh, outer beta into alpha brainwave states and takes the high definition sort of movie that's playing in people's heads around this event or events. And he says, in a, you know, as a, as a description puts it into black and white and it's no longer triggering. Um, so probably a different direction to get to a similar result, but you think we can do this actually in minutes with, with EFT where you can actually take away the power of that memory because I mean, I've been through, um, unfortunately, my listeners know I lost my dad um, just seven months ago, eight months ago, um, and it was a very traumatic uh, event and, and, and process that we went through, and um, 
the 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 intruding memories, the the uh, recurrent nightmares, the all of the horror that surrounds that that event is very p- powerful. How much it drains your daily, you know, life and your energy. Um, and I've found since that event, and uh, I've been, you know, doing various things, but it's still very, um, very raw and very, very real to me. Um, you you are triggered a hundred times a day, you know, and it's it's just draining your power to be able to work fully in the world and to to be the best version of you, you that you can be. And I and I and I sort of know that, and I'm trying to work out ways. So this is definitely one that I'm going to jump into. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you lost your dad. And and what you'll find is that you don't have to let go in the normal sense. In fact, we encourage people to really grieve and really get into, the, into their feelings. Yes. But then do the tapping as well. And what happens is you process them very quickly. So we're, we are telling these veterans, don't think about the bad thing. Don't think about the death. Don't think about all the trauma. That's we're saying, do think about it, but tap while you're doing it. And then that breaks the association in the brain between that traumatic memory and going into that stress response. So wow. uh, I really encourage you to do that because yeah. uh, we've seen so many people, people do this now. We, we work with, for example, with, with, with kids who lost their parents in the Rwandan genocide. And I mean, many of them still 25 years later have, have severe PTSD. We worked with victims of school shootings in the US and various places. And again, uh, mothers and fathers who've lost their kids in mm. school shootings. And we've worked with them successfully with EFT. So it's not like we're just working on, on superficial stuff. No. I mean, it's fine to work on what being worried about the report you have to turn into your boss next week. And it also works on severe psychological trauma. This is so, so exciting. And it is like resetting the brain. I mean, uh, Dr. Woods mentions that it's sort of like a era glitch and you're just going round and round and you can't get out of this sort of the pattern of, of, of things. Yes. Do you now, the see... Trauma loop, we call that the trauma loop. The, the trauma, trauma loop is literally, yeah. it's literally, it's literally a loop between the thymus, thalamus, hypothalamus, the hippocampus, the amygdala in the center of the brain. And what's supposed to be happening is that input is supposed to be be referred to the prefrontal cortex and other regions to moderate emotions and it isn't it's stuck in the emotional midbrain looping and looping and looping and and you you can't you know this is the thing is you cannot talk yourself out of it like i I was worried about a situation at work a few weeks ago and i i would say to myself it's time to meditate now it's 6 a.m in the morning i'm meditating i will not think about that thing at work (laughs) well of course within moments i was obsessed with the thing at work i say but Dawson, I'm going to let that go. It's meditation time now. I'm not going to think about the thing at work. I'm going to return my mind to the meditative state. Now, that thing at work, <laughs> we cannot talk ourselves out of it. Our conscious minds can't because our brains didn't evolve that way. Our brains evolved to be extremely attuned to the tiger in the grass exactly. and the, the remotest possibility of the tiger in the grass. And if you had an ancestor who took her mind off the potential threat to focus on smelling the flowers. You wouldn't be here. (laughs) So it it makes sense that we have this hypervigilance. And when you've, uh, you know, got a PTSD situation gone, you're really hypervigilant and you're in this constant state, but it is even all the little things, you know, like, um, uh, in preparation for this interview yesterday, I, I was, you know, just so into uh, researching and stuff. And then all night, my brain's just going about, Dr. Dawson, what he's doing, you know, like in, in at three o'clock in the morning, I had to get up and re- keep reading one of your books because it was just like, it's not leaving my brain. 
And then I, you know, I did my breathing exercises. I did my meditation and eventually went back to sleep. So you, you gave me a bit of a sleepless night last night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry about that. But in a but good way. you're reading something good. Yeah, in a good way because I was excited about all this stuff, you know, and I and I think it's very powerful. And it's like, uh, you know, as a health coach and I work with people on a daily basis, one, you know, the, probably the first thing that people come to me with is depression and anxiety and then all the health problems in, in, in follow on from that. And that seems to be what so many people are dealing with on an absolute day-to-day basis. And in, in our modern world, I think, you know, a lot of these things, not that our ancestors didn't have stresses because they obviously did, um, but we have uh, perhaps, you know, a hundred tigers coming at us a day in the form of, you know, grumpy emails from our bosses or whatever, you know, the amount we have to process in a day uh, for, for many of us, especially people, you know, working in, on computers and, and all that sort of stuff with, with a thousand things coming at you all the time. And it can feel like, and so often say to when I say to people, you need to do some meditation and you need to, um, you know, calm the mind, you need to get out in nature, but they go, I haven't got time. I haven't got time. I'm working, you know, 17 hours a day and I'm the mum of three. How the hell am I going to find time to meditate? What's your answer? Actually, you don't don't have time to not meditate. In one piece of research, I talk about several of these in my book, Boost Brain, one piece of research done by uh, a a really forward-thinking U.S. agency called the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, or DARPA, they've been at the forefront of all kinds of parts of the human potential movement for the last 50 years. And they did a study of complex decision making. Now, this isn't this isn't whether I should have grilled cheese or macaroni for lunch. This is when you have to like do a scenario that this meant to solve global warming or reduce the deficit or solve racial violence in a city. I mean, it's really complicated problems. And what they found was that when you're in a kind of flow state generated by meditation, that people are 490 times better, sent better at solving complex problems, five times as good. Another study by the McKinsey Consulting Group found 10-year study of high-performance executives found that they are five times as productive when they're in these flow states. We're measuring flow now as people meditate, and we're finding the same thing. So that even 15 minutes, 20 minutes spent at the beginning of a day will literally pay dividends. Another series of studies done by, by Harvard University Found that if you do that for only an hour, if you meditate for an hour, you are more productive and more creative for 48 hours wow. in the future. So you cannot afford not to meditate. Uh, you, the, the gains in productivity, problem-solving ability, and creativity are so enormous that if you don't spend that hour or that half hour, you are missing out on your biggest single leverage point for success in your life. Well, that's a really good argument for it. Have you read the book? You know, uh, we were talking about Steve Kotler. Have you read Stealing uh, Stealing Fire? Stealing, um, oh, I love I love Stealing Fire. I've interviewed yeah. Stephen Kotler several times on that, and I use that. I I, I have five books in this brain and in, in the acknowledgments. I say this book, this brain is based. There are five people who really influenced me, and Stephen Kotler's book, Stealing Fire, one of those well, five. His book really influenced me too. It was like, wow, this is um, this is incredible stuff. Understanding how to get into the flow state and. Um, yes. as, a, as, an, as an athlete, you know, my background is a, a ultra-endurance athlete who did stupid distances, um, I would sometimes get into that flow state. And I, and I, I still can't do it at, at will, uh, unfortunately. Maybe I need to meditate more. Uh, <laughs> but 
the, the, the performance that you could bring when you were in that state was far beyond what you normally could bring. Um, and understanding how to how to tap into that on an actual you know day to day basis, and I find it too. Uh, in, a, in a previous life, I was a, um, a a jeweler as well, so I was a goldsmith and had um, uh, shops, retail shops, and that I would get into the flow state making jewelry when I was creative. <laughs> now now I'm painting, <clears throat> yeah. you know. So when I get time. Do, do those types of things like painting or like like making something do they qualify as meditation i mean what actually qualifies as a meditation because a, a lot of people seem to think you have to be sitting on your floor or with your legs crossed and you know humming or something yeah. or doing a chant yeah. is that the only way to meditate after world war 2 there was a there was a british engineer who'd worked on the radar system in the defense of britain and his name was maxwell cade and he put together a simple EEG and began to hook up spiritual masters. And he, in this, in this, in this, um, in this EEG, he had a, he, he was reading the five basic brainwaves. Now we know wow. there are more than that, but he was reading these simple brainwaves. And what he discovered is that he took up a Pentecostal faith healer or a Taoist healer from China, or he hooked up a Confucian or he hooked up a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Kabbalistic Jewish mystic. And what he found was that even though their, their religious backgrounds and um, religious practices were totally different, they all had the same brainwave pattern. Wow. So that was the pattern of the mystics. He now knew what it was. And I talk about this in this brain, this void of discovery, as Maxwell Cade was doing this in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. And then he and his student, Anna Wise, began to hook up. They said, well, let's hook up other people. Let's hook up, uh, let's hook up Louis Armstrong. Let's hook up jazz musicians in flow. And they found same bliss brain pattern in them. Then they said, well, let's hook up some high-performing executives, some business people who are at their peaks, some scientists. And they found that regardless of the profession, when they're in flow, they all have this characteristic brainwave state. And the, the next thing that we began to realize over the last like 20 years of MRI research is, now this is crucial. We used to think that it was just uh, one of those happy accidents. There are only a few Louis Armstrongs. There are yeah. only a, a few Usain Bolts. There only are a few Swami Vivekanandas. And we used to think these were special people. Once we discovered the brainwave state, some smart scientists then said, hmm. let's reverse engineer this. Yes. Let's train ordinary people to attain the same brainwave state. And lo and behold, this brain, they could. We now, like I do seven-day retreats sometimes, I've been doing virtual retreats now, but I, we do, do live retreats uh, usually once or twice a year. And the first day, it's going to take people maybe, we can induce that state usually within 30 minutes. By the end of the retreat, it's about four minutes. They have learned to hit the state of a 10,000-hour meditation master, and they're doing it in under four minutes at the, by the end of the retreat. Wow. So they're trainable now that we're reverse engineering them. And so one state, one way into the flow state is through meditation like the mystics do. The second way in is through peak performance. Either way, you can get in that same state. And we've now identified flow triggers that put you into that state and they're reliable. They put you into that state every single time. And once you hit that state, Lisa, over and over and over again, the cool thing in this brain, it's all about addiction. And for example, the, the one molecule that you generate in your brain in these deep states is called anandamide. Yes. It has the same chemical structure as THC, yes, the active molecule in marijuana, docks with the same receptor sites in your brain. So you're flooding what are called your 
endocannabinoid receptors in your yes. body and your brain with natural THC, just generated wow. by your own brain. It's serotonin, really you're getting big boosts of serotonin. <laughs> you were mentioning dopamine earlier, and I'm going to send you a meditation that I've just been playing with this recently. This isn't available to the public and it won't be for about two years, mm -hmm. but Mind Valley has worked on a huge new program and we're, we're training people in this one meditation and they literally feel the rush of dopamine they get because dopamine is the same reward system as engaged by cocaine and heroin. So wow. they're sitting there doing this meditation. They're getting serotonin, which is the same as psilocybin, magic mushroom, same molecular structure. They're getting anandamide, THC. They're getting the same molecules that they get in ayahuasca and cocaine and heroin and alcohol all in one meditation. Naturally and so what we're now having to do this is, this is, it's so crazy. We're, we're bringing people to these ecstatic states. When you read Rumi and St. Catherine of Siena, I mean, these people were in absolute bliss and they were, they were essentially, their brains were full of these, these endogenous drugs. And so now we're, we're actually learning to generate these in people's brains. And what we now have to do at the end of our meditations is we have to spend a few minutes talking people down, talking <laughs> them down off this high. They are so spaced out. They can't drive a car. They open their eyes off meditation. They don't know what planet they're on. So we wow. spend some time doing some orienting. Uh, by the way, your name is, what's your name again? Uh, what time of day is it? Which, which country do you live in? What's your job? So we have to help them back into reality because they get so far out there in just a, a few minutes of meditation. Without, but we're now able to do that. Without yeah, any just extraneous with, sort of, you know, uh, chemicals and things that can damage none, you. And, none whatsoever. I have to ask this because in this, maybe outside the wheelhouse a little bit, when you're in those sorts of states, do you think you can connect? Is there a spiritual, what, what, you know, like, do you believe that there's a spiritual dimension to what's on the other side when people pass or, you know, when we die? And, and is that what the mystics and, and some of the spiritual uh, healers are tapping into something higher? I mean, I know we probably can't measure this, although I've, I've just read some books on NDEs, like near-death experiences and the scientific rigor that uh, a couple of these amazing scientists have, have uh, spent years studying. What's your take, just your personal take on, on these higher states and being able to connect perhaps to something beyond us? Yeah, you know, Albert Einstein wrote in the 1930s, he wrote that all scientific discoveries have been made in that altered state of oneness with the universe. Wow. Uh, in chapter 15 of his book, Think and Grow Rich. I mean, people think that Napoleon Hill's book from the 1930s, Think and Grow Rich, is about money. It's actually about spirituality. It's about letting go. Napoleon Hill says, I let go of my ordinary states. I enter an altered reality. And there I commune with St. Francis of Assisi wow. and Thomas Edison and Napoleon Bonaparte and all of these great figures from the past. And that's where I download all of my answers to these questions from. Wow. So throughout history, people have been letting go of what I call, now in my books, I call this local reality and non-local reality. And so in meditation, for a little while, you let go of local reality and you simply identify with the field of consciousness that is the wow. cosmos. There's this huge information field in which we, we swim. We know we're like fish looking for water. When we're looking for God of spirituality, we're like the fish looking for water. Yeah. We're swimming in consciousness and our brains are not generating consciousness. Our brains are transceivers of consciousness from this universal field. And they then translate this universal field information into what we think of as local reality. But we're making it up, we're making it up and we change our minds. And when we shift our belief systems, and when we orient ourselves deliberately, 
to non-local reality, our local reality shifts dramatically and super quickly. And our brain shift, Lisa, in one of the examples I give in Mind to Matter, I talk about a, a, a TV reporter called Graham Phillips, who has a, a show called Catalyst. And he went on a, an eight-week meditation retreat. He took his whole TV crew into a, a lab and they did a whole workup on his brain, his body. They used a high-resolution MRI to measure the volume of neurons in each part of his brain. He then went, he then learned to meditate over the next eight weeks. And they brought him back to the lab after eight weeks, ran the MRI scans again. And the piece of his brain that is responsible for coordinating emotional regulation across different brain regions, called the dentate gyrus. It's really mm-hmm. tiny, it's about the size of my little finger, fingernail, but it's right at the center of your brain. It has tentacles going all over the brain. It helps regulate being upset, being irritable, being angry, being annoyed, being stressed. That The hardware of his dentate gyrus grew 22.8% in eight weeks. Wow. When you enter a non-local reality, it's changing the hardware of your brain. And it's not taking 10,000 hours. It's doing it in just a few hours. And you then start to see very different as your transceiver, transducer changes. You then produce very different results outside of yourself. So we are pure consciousness. We happen to be in a body for a little while. We won't have a body forever. And what you can do is every morning meditation, you can simply let go of local reality. You become one with non-local reality. The other cool thing there is when you when you come down from that space, Lisa, you are so full of love. I mean, yeah. I just cry when I, I come down. From there. I, I walked on the beach the other day after meditation. And I just I was just weeping with gratitude. My, my, wow. I, I wrote in my journal, my heart is just burning with love and bursting with gratitude because you, you come down from these states of such ecstasy and you're in, in the rest of the world in your life. And it is a world of magic. You then create that magic all around you. That's how I write my books. That's how I live my life, how I do my marriage and children and friends and everything. And I just can't tell you how, that's why it's called this brain. It isn't like I'm feeling a little bit okay brain. It is like (laughs) ecstatic brain. I mean, you're just in this ecstatic state and it becomes your new normal. Every day, it starts to change your physical brain. It starts to change the, the hardware of your brain. And then that starts to change your entire life. That sounds like a piece of something that I want. Um, And I think everybody (laughs) listening, you know, will be like, I want what that guy's got because, I mean, and you emanate this. And I've, you know, listened to many of your lectures and your talks and your podcasts and stuff, and you emanate this this beautifulness for the want of a better description. You know, it, it it just seems to pour out of you. And that is obviously the work that you've done. And you know what I find? I was listening one, uh, Ben Pekulski, uh, my amazing man. Uh, you were on his podcast, and I and I was one of the ones that I listened to. Um, and he was talking at you know as an athlete, uh, and you know I've had an athletic background, um, and as a young athlete especially, and he he said he was the same. We were actually running from stuff, and we were fighting, and we were we were forcing and actually probably brutalizing our our bodies in order to deal with something that was going on in our brains and and uh, trying to prove things and you, you know um and and that I think a lot of athletes live in that state and it's actually encouraged to live in that state of 
you, if you have a burning, and, and I've even propagated the state and others, um, you know, where you're, you're using the fire of anger, of of being put down, of being let down, of being to to fuel your performance, and and to a certain degree that works. I mean, being obviously, uh, you know, an incredible uh, bodybuilder. Um, and in my in my life, that that turned into running ridiculous um, kilometers and across deserts and, and so on. Where is that? I think you know now is an and I don't run anymore those stupidly long distances. One of the reasons is I don't have the massive issues in my brain anymore. I'm not needing to run away from something, prove something. I'm not saying that all athletes are doing this, but I do think that there is a large number of people who are handling things through ex- expression uh, of their sports. And how do you change that mindset? Because I still very ha- much have that mindset. When I go to the gym, I'm there to smash myself. You know, I'm going to punish myself. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to push through the pain barriers because that's that is the culture we've grown up in, in as athletes. You, you work hard. If it's not hurting, then you're probably not doing it enough. How do we change that conversation and reach still these, these very elite levels without having that type of a mentality? Sorry for the Yeah, question. and often if you aren't in flow, you, you injure yourself. I, I remember interviewing um, a number of American football players, and these are usually very large men. Mm. And they're very large men, and they're very athletic, and they can jump like a meter uh, up a, a sheer vertical jump mm. and they reach remarkable speeds they can start running and they're running really 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 quickly they're catching and i remember this one young man said this is my million dollar hand he was going to pay a lot of money as an american football star yeah. and he said i but i've broken my fingers at least one sometimes two or three times in every season wow. and i can't afford to have this happen to my million dollar hand after he learned EFT, after he learned to meditate, after he learned centering, getting into flow in each game, he never broke another finger. He had one uh, injury uh, where when he was just learning to meditate and do EFT, and they, they said, oh, it's an Achilles tendon injury, so he'll be out of, out of the game for at least 12 weeks, more, maybe 16 weeks. Three weeks later, he was fine. Mm-hmm. And so uh, athletes, first of all, when they're in the zone, when they're in flow, they injure themselves less, and their, their performance goes up it's that old yerks dots and curve you refer to a little bit of stress is you know is fine and you want to have a little bit of stress you know when i'm when i'm getting a, a key, right now i mean you and me if i didn't have a fair amount of cortisol and adrenaline i'd be a really boring yeah. guest <laughs> exactly. so, so, so that, yes to some degree we want that when That's we're exciting. on we want that absolutely yeah. but not too much of it mm. And, and and like we're in a flow state. I'm in a flow state right now because yeah. I, I feel like I am because I just love learning from people like you. And I'm just you know you know give me more. I want to hear all this stuff because I'm learning. And that is for me one of my flow states: studying and 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 science yeah. and 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 you know and that, that really helps me. But how do we change that conversation for athletes? Uh, you know, so that they're not going out to deliberately hurt themselves but still able to reach those. I remember one story, if you don't mind sharing, I think it was um, with your niece. Um, Was that um, Jessica or something? Yes, Jessica, yeah. Do you mind sharing that story? Yeah, she used to be the national champion at rhythmic gymnastics, and they have to re-rank every year. So four years in a row, she was the U.S. national champion. And um, But again, she was pushing herself. She was Mm. collapsing inside. She was not doing it all well. And so... 
on the outside, she her performances looked great. On the inside, she was just suffering, and she eventually just couldn't go anymore and just had to withdraw from the sport and collapsed. So that's not sustainable. What you find with the athletes who have a long-term career usually is they've learned to pace themselves. They've learned to reach that, that state of flow and, and stay there over time. They aren't pushing themselves. The other cool thing that happens, I've done a lot of work with women who are overweight or obese mm -hmm. and they're they are often at war with their bodies they've yeah. been ignoring their bodies tuning the bodies out hating their bodies for often for decades and they don't like exercise on the on on, on the whole and it's hard for them to exercise like if you're heavy it's there's Very. all the strain on your joints on your muscles oh, gosh, yeah. it's difficult to exercise there's no great reward for exercising so what we train them to do we don't even call that module of our program exercise we call it joyful movement joyful movement and so i say go to the gym and you know grab that maybe a 10 pound weight and if you're just doing dumbbells and doing 10 pound weight that's fine and if you do if you have a goal of doing 10 reps do as many reps as you feel good doing wait for the endorphin rush to kick in where you feel good and the moment you feel bad stop now what they do is they, if they then do eight and they start to feel bad or strained they stop at eight now they're feeling an endorphin rush today. Okay, now maybe the next week they're doing they're getting the endorphin rush and they're doing eleven. But what has then happened is that they are associating going to the gym with pleasure neurochemicals, wow. not with pain. And then you can't keep them away from exercise. I mean, once you've learned to rejig your neurochemistry to where you associate those exercise bands or that piece of exercise equipment, or your kayak, or your mountain bike with pleasure, rather than with compulsion and pain, then you find people are highly motivated to exercise. So we retrain them to do this. It also has the effect of listening, them listening to their bodies. No longer is your body a threat and a problem. It's now something to listen to, and it's signal, hey, this doesn't feel good, you stop right away. So in my own workouts, if I've, if I've decided to do 20 reps of something, and after 17, I'm no longer feeling good, I stop at 17, then my body is saying, wow, 17 feels wonderful. And then you completely change your conditioning to make that exercise a, a joy and a pleasure. After a while, you can't stop people going to the gym if you used your own neurochemistry in an intelligent way like that. Well, and you don't like limit your performance when you do that because, you know, like as an athlete, you know that you have to endure a certain amount of pain to reach the next level, or that's what we've been told at least. Um, and you have to, you know, high intensive interval training and, you know, back to back and CrossFit and rah, rah, rah. Um, you know, is there that the gentle approach I can see being super good for someone who has never exercised and just wants to break into this field. Does the same apply for elite athletes wanting to get to the best that they can be? Because, you know, you're up against the competition that are training in this way of brute force training type of way. Is that yeah, there, the, is there are two ways of training. One way of training is the propulsion way of training. The other yep. way is, is the supportive way of training. Mm. And so I, uh, yeah, that's a very good question. So that way works great for people who are getting into exercise for the first time. But what about people who are at that elite, elite level? Yeah. And so yeah. there's a time to push yourself and there's a time to, to back off. And only you know that. And no one else can really tell you what that point is, but you know yourself. Like me, for example, um, I, I do a lot of mountain biking. And there are some times when there's a long, steep hill and I'm yeah. exhausted. And I yeah. think, 
you know, I'm exhausted. There's a steep hill ahead and I am just going to go for it. And it feels so exciting to do that. But if I had a coach saying, go for it, you know, if I was writing with somebody and they were saying, go for it, or I was trying Mm. to keep up with them and um, I wasn't listening to my body, then probably I'd injure myself. That's what I have injured myself actually in the past. Wow. So it's you tuning into yourself and no one else is something no coach can do for you. Are you meant to just put in that extra burst of effort and then transcend yourself? And we don't know for another person. We only know for ourselves. So it's really an interesting meditation. And again, it it, it means being sensitive to yourself to know when to do that. And the other thing is it's not the same every day. We have biorhythm. Some days we are just so in rhythm. That's the time to say, you know, I was planning on this 35-minute routine. I'm going to do the 55-minute routine instead. And you just you just you just know that day I'm so insane. My body wants to do that to do that. Brilliant. You get good at reading your body, and you know. So I think I think the best elite athletes. I mean, how, how are some you know, football players? The average football player in, in the National Football League in, in the U.S. has about a four-year career. Wow, how does someone sure. like Tom Brady have a, a career that spans decades? You watch wow. these great athletes often or great musicians or great scientists and they aren't a flash in the pan they're sustaining peak performance over time i think they're the ones who are pacing themselves yeah and they're the ones that are listening to their body i think you know when training athletes i i often say you know like if you start you have to sort of look at how was your day been how much sleep did you get did you hydrate have you had a lot of stress before you decide what your training is today even if we've put it on your plan to do a big hard long training session but you had a very bad night or something went wrong yesterday then maybe today we want to shift that out and it's learning to be that sort of intuitive and and rather than rigid this is what coaches said and this is what I'm doing because I have to do that and and that give and take means that you will eventually have more performance and I think what other also is in the recovery phase is where you actually get the benefit not in the training phase you know contrary to think people think that you know, when we're actually doing the weights is when we're getting the strength. No, it's actually in the recovery. So if you're not recovering properly and you're just smashing yourself again the next day, then you're not going to get those wins anyway, you know? Um, so yeah, that, that's just a, a new uh, perspective for me to, to, to take on. And maybe I'll uh, be a little bit more gentler on mum in the gym today. <laughs> <laughs> he might be thanking you later, Dawson. <laughs> I had her yesterday in the gym, and we were doing weights, and she doesn't like weights. She doesn't mind the the, the treadmill and the bike and so on, but when it comes to weights, and and um, you know, I'm pushing her quite hard. Come on, mum, you can do it. You know, maybe I need to be a little bit more. Um, how shall we say sensitive? <laughs> yeah. Also, if, if it's someone you trust, and like, for example, a teacher will challenge you. A teacher will like we mentor people, we train people in EFT, in meditation, and we train trainers, we train practitioners, and they're certified in what's called clinical EFT, using EFT with other people. And we we push them. You know, we we definitely say that that's a challenge, and we recommend you go for it. And, and sometimes your coach will see a possibility in you you don't see in yourself. We'll very often see yeah. that this person could be a brilliant healer. They might be a bus driver or a hairdresser. And we'll say, you can do this. Yeah. And, and we, we just, we, we're experts. We know, we know that they can. Wow. So it does take the other, the, an external eye sometimes. Also on, on, on the spiritual journey, it takes somebody uh, that you talk to. I, like, I, I train thousands of EFT practitioners and I, I'm, you know, I, I wrote the book, the EFT Manual, the most recent edition of the book. I've written about EFT. I've done more research than anybody else in EFT, and I am my own practitioner. 
who wow. may say to me, Dawson, you need to sharpen up in this area. I think you can make a shift over here. So we, we never get past the point of needing a trainer, of needing a coach, of needing external eyes to look at us and to guide us. Very, very useful at every every stage of our development. We make we require even people who've been doing this for 50 years, they still have to have their own therapist and do their own inner work. Because if you if you think you're past needing a therapist or doing your own inner work, you're deluded. It's yes. always stuff to work well, on that's a that's a that's a brilliant way of looking at it and very humbling approach to 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 life now i wanted to just shift gears a little bit if i may and talk about the bigger ramifications of changing our brain because when we change ourselves personally we are also affecting our environment our family our, then our community and then our country and then the world um if we are looking at the bigger picture you know our world has some big major problems in it that we uh and i think um we're not always focusing on the positives that are happening in our society because our media very much concentrates on just the negative but how can we uh, if if we all started to meditate today and we all really adopted dawson's approach and these other great researchers and scientists and this these people's approach to changing our own brains and how they're functioning in our own lives and we're happier, nicer people, what sort of effect can we have on the environment, do you think? I have a whole chapter in my book, Mind to Matter, on this. And there's a phenomenon that's been studied over the past, uh, since the 1970s, called emotional contagion. And it began when one person noticed that in her workspace, in her office environment, they, they had good days and bad days. They had you know, generally days when everything seemed to flow. People were nice to each other. The work went smoothly. And then there were, then there were a lot of bad days as well yep. when people were grumpy and things didn't work. And she realized that the good days were when one particular person was sick and took a day off. Oh. And then one person was removed from the equation. Everyone functioned better. Wow. And she realized that this was a phenomenon and she named it emotional contagion. And we now have applied the epidemi epidemiology as the study of infectious disease. We've now applied this in various research studies to emotions. And we find that emotions are contagious. So in one long running study, it's been going since the 1950s, called the Framingham Heart Study in Framingham, Massachusetts, and now includes five generations of inhabitants of Framingham. And the researchers have found that a happy person is highly contagious and actually produces contagion in her neighbor and her neighbor's neighbor, and her neighbor's neighbor's neighbor, who she's never even met. So <laughs> when you're happy, you literally, you know, the, this old saying, Frank Sinatra in 1950, saying when you're, when you smile, the whole world smiles, smiles with, with you. you. And it does. Happiness is contagious. So when we do that work on ourselves, see a therapist, use EFT, take care of our physical bodies, love ourselves, Tune into the infinite. Tune into non-local mind. It floods our hearts and our bodies. We feel so much better, and we're just nicer to everyone around us. And there are nice people around them. That effect is is travels out a long way. In one study, I talk about in Mind to Matter, the researchers tweet the feeds of Facebook users, just a few dozen Facebook users, for a few days to make them either a little more positive or a little more negative, just a tiny touch, more positive, more negative. And those people then passed those certain stories along in their feeds and others then passed further stories along in their feeds. 
Within two weeks, they produced emotional contagion in 600,000 other people. Oh, wow. So we are highly wow. contagious, our positive energy. I'll give you one example. Um, Donald Trump is the previous president of the U.S. and a tremendously polarizing and triggering figure. And so people would talk about Donald Trump and, you know, after he's told some egregious lie or done something really harmful to other people, they get so offended. And so I really counsel people to stay in your heart and just hold Donald Trump and everyone in his his party in in compassion. Just hold, take the people who who offend you the most and hold them in compassion. Tune into their suffering and hold them in that way. And so when we do this, when we aren't, you know, as Jesus said, love your enemies, do good to them that hate you. Very good advice, even though it's 2,000 years old. And when you do this, you're producing emotional contagion around you. You have no idea how far it's going. But as that Facebook study found, just a few people could produce emotional contagion in hundreds of thousands. So by becoming happy yourself, you walk around happy. During the pandemic, we all had to wear masks all the time. One study found that when I talk behind the mask, so no one can see what's whether I'm smiling smile. or frowning. Wow! People can hear by the tone of your voice if yep. you're smiling or frowning. They can tell with a very thin slice of information what it is. So you are you're just talking to somebody kindly and nicely. That's producing emotional contagion. This one one story I tell in one of my books, Lisa, that just just touched me it was this guy who was having a really difficult time. His wife had left him taking with him their, their two kids. He couldn't see the kids, uh, missed the kids terribly, and then he lost his job. And he just spiraled downward and decided to commit suicide. And he'd been suicidal for a few months, but that was the day he decided he was going to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. And he literally he drove to the Golden Gate Bridge. There's a parking lot there. He parked his car. Then he had to cross a series of pedestrian crossings to get to the bridge. And as he was, I'm getting chills as I tell the story, because yeah. I mean, it's such an emotional impact when I just think of this, this guy and so he was stopped at a light waiting for the traffic light to change. And he looked at the car next to him. And there was a woman, an elderly woman with, with, with long gray hair in that car, also stopped at the light. And he, he, as he looked at her, she happened to look at him. And she smiled. She smiled at him. And suddenly he realized life was worth living. He turned on, went back to his car and with suicide. You have no idea of the effect you're having on other people. We're, we're wow. producing emotional contagion in other people all the time. It might be your smile that stops somebody from, from doing, something doing something harmful or yeah. gives them a sense of hope about their lives. So wow. we support each other. We love each other. And after a while, you just live in this world where there is so much love. You're sensitized to love. You attract loving people into your life. You attract kind people into your life, compassionate people. And so now suddenly you're in this environment that is beautiful. Are you starting to deal with people who are homicidal and suicidal and, and nasty and mean and angry and stressed? Absolutely. And like when I drive down the road, sometimes there'll be uh, there'll be maybe a young man in a pickup truck and he'll be weaving in and out of traffic. He'll be angry. He'll be having episodes of road rage and giving people yep. the finger. Yep, yep. And that, that used to really trigger me. And now I say, that guy is probably having a terrible day. He probably does not have a very good life. And I need to just love him. So I will just... Drive there in my car in the slow lane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and shower him with love. Now, is that affecting him? Who knows? 
Is it bringing my cortisol down? Absolutely. My cortisol is going down. I'm now a better driver. I'm not making waves in the trackball around me. So we are agents of emotional contagion. And I urge people in my books, go out and be an agent of conscious, positive emotional contagion with every thought you have, every word you say. You have no idea who might be affecting, and you will certainly be lowering your cortisol. Oh, the other cool thing is, in one study I did recently, we showed that when you lower your cortisol, this is people tapping and meditating for a week. They were doing this and they lowered their cortisol. Their cortisol went down by a huge amount, 37% drop in, in baseline cortisol in only one week. Wow. Their immunoglobulins, which are these molecules, that are antibodies that attack coronaviruses. Immunoglobulins are Y-shaped molecules that attach to the spike protein yep. on a coronavirus and neutralize it. Wow. Those molecules in those people's mucous membranes went up 113%, wow. more than double in one week of tapping and meditation intensity at a retreat center. So we, we now know that, am I affecting the young man? I have no idea. Am I driving my own cortisol down and my own immunoglobulins up? Absolutely. I'm much healthier and I'm able to exert that influence in the world around me. So it is powerful to practice these things and be the agent of positive emotional contagion. That is just so powerful. And because you actually, like when you, you know, and I've and I've been guilty of this in the past when someone's cut me off in traffic and I've like, before I've even thought, before my prefrontal cortex is actually, you know, turned on, the amygdala has gone, Rrr! and, you know, you're, you're doing the bird out the window at, at this person and <laughs> swearing at them. And, uh, and then you can't, like now, uh, when I was younger, I was a lot more volatile, you know, and I, you know, I come from a family of <laughs> very stroppy people <laughs> uh, and, and a warrior background, if you, if you like, from my native population, we tend to be quite, um, you know, warrior orientated. And now I am very much like that. I'm like, I'm not going to, going to damage myself. If I, if, I, if I react to this situation, then I'm just sending my cortisol up. And one of the things when I was studying our blood sugars and what happens with your blood sugars, how, how the cortisol sends your blood sugars up and you actually make you put on weight. Well, that was a very good deterrent from getting angry. <laughs> if Absolutely. You think about, yeah, weight gain Aging. because I got angry uh, at one, the guy in traffic. You know. Yeah, one study found that, that optimists live on average 10 years longer than pessimists. This was a 30-year study of both men and women over the course of three decades, and the optimists live 10 years longer than the pessimists. So negative emotion has a, it's it's battery acid inside your body. It's corrosive. It's really damaging. Your organs give you a much shorter and much more disease-filled life than optimism. So be optimistic, be altruistic. Be, I mean, you feel good doing all that, all those things. You feel much better. And of course, your health is dramatically better and your longevity is at least a decade more than otherwise. And 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 you do this through not just through positive thinking, because we all know, I think, that just I'm going to be positive today and then that works for five minutes. <laughs> you know, with the positive psychology thing. Well, yes, that's great. But 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 through meditation, through connection, through through being out in nature and through all of these things that we've just, you know, talked about in the last that is the way to get this more positive response. Is that if that's what I'm hearing. And that's yeah, the way to become more centered. Yes. Well, yes, yes and no, in that there are two kinds of focuses that I found are necessary. And I'm just 
sort of putting a putting a level playing field or the surface plane over here. And one of those is digging into the subconscious and healing trauma. And if you try and go for positive thinking without healing trauma, it yeah. becomes the dark side, it becomes repressed anger, repressed rage, and it actually will surface in some way and make itself known right. often as self-sabotaging behavior or repetitive negative, negative thinking. So you have to do both. And my initial, all my initial research for more than 10 years was with veterans, with people who are traumatized, dealing with trauma. And that's great. So you need to go and deal that with food. all the trauma that's holding you back. And then you want to go not just be at a neutral point where you don't have trauma. You then want to explore peak states. Like imagine being in ecstasy every day, oh. having that dopamine and that serotonin and that anandamide, that oxytocin, all of these wonderful neurochemicals flowing through your brain. And now you're hitting a peak state. You're starting your day in flow. And then you just go on from there to have a wonderful creative day. So you want to be doing both of those things simultaneously. Right. This isn't this isn't the work of a week. This is the work of a lifetime, but it is so worth doing. Both the trauma healing through EFT, EMDR, all these other wonderful energy therapies, and then cultivating these elevated states, bliss brain. And again, people reach these states and they feel wonderful, as well as they're incredibly creative. And of course, their health improves as well. So both I can't of wait those to things, try that both meditation. Be, both are necessary. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think this is Dawson. You, you. We're going to have to wrap it up in a moment. I don't want to be respectful of your time, but I would love to have you back on because I don't think we've really covered. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> would you do me the honor of yeah. coming back on and if you, you know yeah. maybe in, in a month or, or two months, whenever your schedule, your crazy schedule um, allows? But I think we need to dig deeper, and I would like to actually put into practice some of these things that I've learned today, and to go a little bit deeper into. To, to these things and see and then be able to have that discussion with you how I pro progress so I think that would be a nice way to, to 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 come back and actually look at a case study if you like yes um, absolutely love to do it oh so Dawson how can people reach you how can they find out more about your work obviously your books uh, mind to matter genie in the um uh, genie in your genes genie in your genes um and uh, bliss brain are your are your main books that you have? Where can people find you online? Find out about EFT, maybe start training with you, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, there are three places that you can go to to get Bliss Brain. You can go to blissbrain.com and you get the book there. You also get eight meditations that accompany each of the eight chapters of the book. And these are brief, they're under 20 minutes each, but they really help you get to those elevated emotional states. Mind to Matter is all about manifestation about the link between thoughts and things that's mindtomatter.com and then the immunity meditation i mentioned earlier mm. is at dawsongift.com so that that's worth doing we actually once we got the results of, of two studies in showing these big rises in immunoglobulins i did a special meditation to actually help people hit those those peak states and those are at dawsongift.com so the two books mindmatter.com mindtomatter.com and blissbrain.com and then the meditation is at dawsongift.com those are the three best places to go you'll also get a portal there for example because we have practitioners who work with people 24 7 uh live video sessions in real oh, time wow. we yeah yeah i do a lot of a lot of workshops i do blissbrain workshops make a big one coming up that's going to be in in german french spanish as well as english wow um i really am just Lisa, I'm just obsessed with getting people 
this this material. And also, I'm so moved by people suffering. You know, when I see people suffering, and I I realize, wow, if only they had this little piece of information, their lives would be so much better. So I'm just... You're beautiful. Every day, obsessed with how to do that. Thank you so much for your service to everybody. I think this is incredibly important work. This is changing lives, you know, and I and I really thank you for digging really deep into the sciences and bringing this all to us because, uh, you know, we we are. I'm seeing every day people who are just completely and in my own life, I you know experienced my own traumas and so on, uh, who have so much anxiety, so much trauma, so much PTSD, uh, and and being able to elevate. A few people in your environment and change the way that you're living your life would just be absolutely fantastic. So thank you very much for your time today, Dawson. Oh, it's been a joy. Thank you. I look forward to our next get-together. That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends and head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com 